0: Well, those were some powerful testimonies this morning encouraging, and I hope what we sh- talk about this morning will maybe encourage us to realize that um, god is 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 generous and he's always on our side he 's always um, for us, not against us but uh, and I always have a but uh, the but is always that um, We live in this, as I said right at the beginning, this tension of how to enter into the things that seem at some points too good to be true or they seem that they are for other people but not for us. We read about the gospel. The gospel means good news. And uh, after the fall, which was when um, Adam and Eve were separated from God because of their choice to eat of the apple, which meant that they believed the lie that, they would, that God didn't want the best for them. They believed the lie that they could become like God. They believed the lie that uh, they could be self-sufficient. And they didn't understand what they were even saying yes to. The earth was cursed. And it wasn't cursed because God said, um, I curse you. It was more like, I'm acknowledging the curse that has come upon you because of your action and because you didn't realize that Satan actually has power over this earth and you've just released it to him. When God created human beings, he created them to have authority over the earth and they lost that almost before they'd even started. And so we became a race with amnesia. We became a race that really had no idea what we were created for. We became a race that uh, ended up trying to make the best of this life and working out systems and political systems and bureaucracies and rules as to how to live on this world without killing each other completely. And so the fall is a very, very deep condition of humanity. And uh, that is the context from which everything else flows. And God so loved the world that he sent his son into that world. Um, God so loved the world that he sent his son. God so loved the world that he sent his son. God so loved the world. You see, many of us have grown up with the understanding, or at least the knee-jerk reaction, that God doesn't love. God wants us to be right. God wants us to behave. God wants us to get our act together. God is actually quite disappointed in us. And we're even more disappointed in us or we rise up justifying ourselves. But it's not a good relationship intuitively, which is the lie. And that's why there's this journey that we're on where we, we, we believe God for something. And then it's an ongoing learning to believe at deeper level, levels. It's why it's a journey of faith. And in these weeks coming up to Easter, I just want to look at what did God do on the cross and what was the cross about that made it so revolutionary? Um, because the world that we still live in, and I think many people who say they believe in God still live in, are still about a God who doesn't care that much. I believe He loves me. He saved me from my sin, which are the, the kind of things we trot out um, but why doesn't he seem to work in this situation? Or why doesn't he seem to deal with the suffering? Why doesn't he do this? Why doesn't he do that? And many people, as I say, often you know, say, well, if God was love, why does he let so many people suffer? And we might look at it and say, so many people suffer because they've lost touch with the God of love. Maybe it's the other way around. And so God so loved the world that he gave his only son is an expression of who God is, that one of the most profound things you can do is to enter into somebody else's life. One of the most profound things you can do is to walk alongside somebody who's struggling, to go and live under the bridge if they're living under the bridge. And so one of the hallmarks that we'll actually keep coming back to, and we read it out of Philippians, that... um, he did not consider equality with God something to be used or, or to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. One of the hallmarks of God's spirit in a human being is the nature of a servant. It's not your worship. It's not your giving. It's not your status. It's the nature of a servant. How can I hope? How can I serve? It's the greatest testimony to Jesus alive in somebody is how do you lay your life down for other people. And so this God who very often was presented and was experienced as distant or as angry or as um, impersonal came onto this earth in the person of Jesus as a baby. And so the greatest leaders were the ones who live among the people, who fight among the people, who fight with the people, or shoulder to shoulder with the people. Which is why all ministry should be shoulder to shoulder. We are brothers and sisters, no pedestals. Priests and and, and clergy and Christian leaders can so easily get into this place of, um, you know, so put your name in front of ministries and I am now, we, we crave this figurehead. We want these people who somehow are superstars to be. We still do it. It's all over the place. It's not a hallmark of Jesus, it's a hallmark of, of a very fallen world where we just need all these heroes. And we need these heroes because we're believing a lie that God actually can't use us like He can use them. And then they become the ones that say, no, God can't use you like they can use me. So you need to buy my books and you need to buy my tapes and you need to buy my stuff so that you can become like me. I'm not being cynical, actually. And and there's a place for all of that. There's an appropriate place, but a lot of it is not appropriate. Because what it does is it diminishes you. It says... um, you're not good enough. You're not ready enough. And actually God said, You were ready the first time I touched you. You are ready now. But as long as you look in the mirror and try to get better to become like I am, you'll never be ready because you're going to be stuck with the jar of clay that you are. And it's not the jar of clay that I need. I need th- you need the treasure. That's why I'm saying there's this tension. tension. Humility should be incredibly easy for us because we should be so self-aware of the jar of clay we are and also so aware of the treasure we contain. And so those true truths hang there. Humility is not saying, I can't do that. Humility is saying, I can't do that, but I'll try because he is in me. But we still actually give jar of clay way too much authority. We think it's modesty. And it's actually an unbelief. And of course we need one another because sometimes we're just foolish because we're trying to do something we weren't even created to do because we want to be like something else. And so we need, as a counselor said, another pair of eyes to say, no, maybe this is where you should be, not there. Because we don't believe that where we should be is as good as this one so we compete for that. You know, you're following me? We, we, we're funny the way we do things because we're a work in progress. Always. So humility should be incredibly easy. If you're feeling proud, just offer to serve and you'll soon be humble again because you go, I don't know how to do that. See, the, in 1 Corinthians 1, it talks about the foolishness of the cross. Um, and Paul talks about that. He says the cross is foolishness. And I'm wanting to remind us of the work of the cross because it's so easy for us to get not foolish. We start believing in ourselves, or we start believing, well, I've been a Christian for 10 years, or 15 years, or 25 years. I have this pedigree, I have these testimonies, and you do. And then I suddenly think, I don't need the cross anymore. I mean, I came through the cross, but the cross is, you know, I, I'm now born again. And so I might irritate some of you this morning because I'm going to hold this tension all the time, and you want to live from the victory, and I'm going to go, but what about the jar of clay? And then you want to live in the jar of clay, and I'm going to say, what about the victory? because they're both important and they both go together. And it's why we we live in community. It's why we live uh, in in relationship because that's how God shows us the process that we're in. Carol was talking about, you know, Lord, why don't you speak to me more closely and you say, well, seek him. And one of the ways you seek God is just sharing a life with other people. He will speak speak in all kinds of ways, through a tire. He'll speak through anything. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demanded signs and Greeks looked for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to the the Gentiles. Read the first two chapters or first chapter of, of Corinthians. Because what happens? Jesus comes in human form. That would be so cool if God was among us. In human form, I, I would believe. And you go, yeah, born as a baby. You carry him around say, Jesus, that's so wonderful. And then Jesus grows up and he wriggles off your, out of your arms. And he begins to, he gets into his 20s. And then he's 30 and he starts talking back to you. And you go, um, this personal God is actually getting objectionable. And this God who so loved the world that he came in human form. He's actually speaking to people who have tried to serve God all their lives as the religious leaders. And he's actually saying, you're not doing what God wants you to do. And what's rising up in them is, who do you think you are? And this God in human form who is so humble, has the audacity to speak back to me and say, you've lost the plot. And the fallen nature of you and me rises up and says, look, who's God? And you say, no, I'd never do that. Follow Jesus. See what happens. It's easy to be born again. Living again is the challenge. It's easy to say, I believe. Living that belief is what the world is longing for. Well, let's see what kind of a servant you really are. Let's see how you really love Jesus. It's not judgment. What it is is, as we live, we get deeper revelations of how much we are still in rebellion. And as and we see, we see this with disciples. What God is doing with us is just going. I love you deeply, and in your relationship with me as we travel, so you will become what you are not yet. That's life. Peace on earth, a savior has been born. We sing it at Christmas and we joyfully proclaim it. Until I'm a religious leader, and he goes, A savior's been born, and I go, Who needs a savior? Do you need a savior? Well, I did. A Savior has been born. Joy to the world. Peace on earth. Goodwill to all mankind. See, the biggest problem, actually, are people who have a little knowledge of Jesus and a little history. And then we get stuck. And then what the way we, we operate is we start judging all the non-Christians because by them we look good. And so we start playing that game. And we get stuck in, if people could just come to know Jesus, and we get stuck in the nursery of just conversions. But discipleship gets lost. So following Jesus with integrity to to begin to lay down your life and give away your stuff and to offer services to people gets lost because that costs more. And it's not done by guilt. God's not interested in guilt. This whole area of do you love me, serve me, do you love me, lay down your life for me, do you love me, feed my sheep, is what God's calling his church to become. He's calling us to that place where we will just say, we have nowhere else to go, say yes, Lord. But those yeses are repeated again and again, aren't they, as we go through life? Because as we go through life, we have these two revelations all the time. As Paul said, what I want to do, I don't do. Uh, The older evangelical Bible study people don't like that. they, They use that phrase. Paul wrote that before he was a Christian. After he was a Christian, he didn't need to write that. It's nonsense. What I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, I do. That's beginning of revelation of walking with Jesus. I am not him. But the revelation of walking with Jesus is I'm seeing that I'm not him. I used to see I do all these good works. Now I go, I am not him. And so he says, follow me and you will become like me. God so loved the world that he sent his son into the world to become the second Adam. The one who reveals what it's like to be human, what a human looks like, fully surrendered to God and filled with his spirit what we call this is is we can live in denial I I looked up some definitions denial consists of the refusal to accept a past or present reality and is most commonly employed to protect the host from their own negative traits to protect them from the repeated memories of the negative actions of another or to avoid recognizing their own guilt for past actions, thoughts or feelings denial can be scary and very sad thing to witness in someone that you love or care about It's generally very difficult to help someone see the truth and especially for them to truly believe and accept that reality on a long-term basis. You don't know what you don't know. You don't see what you can't see. That's why we need one another. Because I can declare myself to be a whole lot better than I really am. But if I start saying, Well, John, don't be so depressing. I'm not being depressing. I'm just saying how it is. How it is, is that Jesus is Lord and I am somebody in an earthen vessel who's learning how to follow him. And I have come from a place of absolute depravity where I want to be God. And I've come from a place where all my heritage is about how can I survive on this earth. And I have come in touch with somebody who said I love you passionately and deeply. I want you to follow me and learn to trust me. And I am no different from those who came out of Egypt. I have come out of Egypt, but Egypt isn't coming out of me as easily as I wished. And that's why we can get so discouraged. Because we go, but but I thought, and you go, yes. It's what Vittoria was talking about. I'm becoming something. I'm declaring something. But in the process of declaring, I still have to have support. I still have to have people to help me. Push through," so Carrie Anne said. Everybody should be saying that. I need help, and we encourage one another, but we do not deny what is not yet. So I want to share with you a, a story that um, it's in uh, Genesis. See, we we living in we live in a, in a culture, and we live in a place of. Um, Great brokenness. And we also live in a culture of great denial. We live in comfort in many ways. And so what I'm saying today could be very depressing. I don't think it's depressing at all, actually. I think it's very cool. But it could be very depressing if our egos have to stay on board and and, and look good. You see, we don't have... We can be we can be numbed from the depravity because it's become quite polite. And so, I was alerted to this passage this week. As I was listening to something, I'm going to play you a video in a minute. But I just wanted to read it first, to to just illustrate how easily things can get lost. And this story is just a story about somebody who actually gave up everything because they were hungry. Let me read it to you quickly. talking about Jacob and Esau. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country, famished, He said to Jacob, Quick, let me have some of that red stew, I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, First, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? Jacob said, Swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling him his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew, and he ate and drank, and then got up and left. This is a video about a guy whose father actually was caught in uh, was a vi- he doesn't tell you on, on this video it's from England uh, struggled with an addiction to pornography for a lot of his life and uh, he's now got a ministry called the Naked Truth that comes out of England that's helping people trying to get off and out of the addiction to pornography which statistically is one in four people so probably 20 people here struggle at least so I just love the way he presented it. So uh, hopefully, we can see it. That's the world we live in. What's just you? Because one of the things we can do is come very big, we, we can get quite arrogant because we just select the things we're not susceptible to and then we think we, we're okay. And I'm not trying to make us feel depressed today at all. I'm merely just going, we're all cut from the same cloth. And the way God works is that he leads us step by step into greater and greater wholeness. And so it's not about condemning anybody. It's just going, you want to hear God speaking? Smell the stew. I want to set you free. And then I want to set you free. And then I want to set you free again. And I want to set you free again and again. And then I actually want to set you, use you to set others free. But I'll only use you to set others free in the areas that I've set you free. I will use you and I minister through you in the ways that you've let me minister to you. Often. Because you'll minister with humility. You'll minister with a story. I was here and this is where it was and God Jesus met me and I release it to you because he let me, because he's met me there. So it's just one brother showing another where bread is found. It's so easy and so rampant in the Christian church for immaturity to hold us because we're actually scared. What did God do on the cross? He so loved the world that he sent his son because his people were in prison and his people were slaves. And his people were set free physically from Egypt, but they were still slaves emotionally, psychologically, and relationally for years. They needed more work. You and I need more work. One of the most dangerous things is to declare, and I'm going to contradict myself here because we have to declare, so we always have to declare, But it's really easy to start declaring what we're not really experiencing. You see, in order for us to experience, we have to stop and listen. And sometimes we're scared to listen. I don't know what to do with that. Am I making sense? It's easy to keep things over here. And Jesus says, I want you to let them come close. Because I want to heal you deep, deep inside. I want you to not be afraid of me. I am the living God. I am Lord of everything. See, if Jesus is Lord, as we say, on this earth, as in heaven, there's no other God. But even in our lives, we have to wrestle with that. Because my child doesn't know Jesus, so what's going to happen if she dies? And I go, well, she was a good person. All I know what to do is to keep contending for those I love and trust Him with the destiny because there's mystery in all of that. If the guy, at the thief on the cross, and I'm going to talk about this in two weeks, if the thief on the cross could say, remember me in paradise, and he hadn't gone through baptism, he hadn't gone through anything. I mean, there's, there's a mustard seed of desperation. If God can use that, then I'm not, thank God having to judge the destiny of anyone. And his love is way more trustworthy than my discernment. But, if Jesus is Lord, then he is Lord. And he's the only place and the only person through whom we come to knowledge of the love of God and the power of God. It's not Jesus and something else. And in the world in which we live, it's Jesus and. Jesus is an option. The cross is foolishness to those who don't know God. A stumbling block. Because it comes to the human ego. You need a savior. No, I need an explanation. You need a savior. You were lost and need to be found. I don't feel lost. I've never felt more alive. That's when I always talk about the the leper on a hot plate. I don't feel like needing to Take my hand off this hot plate. Your feeling most alive away from God is a symbol of how dead you are. It's the ultimate denial. It's the ultimate ignorance. So am I going to stand and argue with you? No. What's going to touch you? Witnessing the love of Jesus in another human being. Witnessing somebody loving in a way that I would never do that. Witnessing the power of God healing somebody. How did that happen? It's not aggressive. If I think God is so great and that you should know him, then how am I going to be somebody through whom you can see something that you can't believe is possible? And what does that do to me? That humbles me because I go, oh God... (laughs) I'm going to be the visual aid for this person. Yeah, and he says, you're going to have to stop talking. I stood up in front of a church of 600 in Cape Town many years ago now. It's fresh from Oxford, you know. I'm just cool. I've got all the, the, the qualifications and stuff, and they're all uh, I would working class. The church itself had been actually totally revolutionized by, by um, God delivering six of the people on their council from alcohol. And I knew these guys. They had actually been, most of them had been alcoholics and God had set them all free. And so I was going to talk on love and I remember standing there with five pages and you know they glaze over like you, you I mean they glaze over after five minutes and it was just like God said you're going to have to show them something. Live among them. Just be a friend. Let them see whether you like it or not, your weaknesses. How many of us struggle with the fact, you know, um, if you know that I'm just a sinner like you and that I'm meant to be a priest and I'm meant to be clergy and then I fail and I fall, you get all disillusioned. Which kind of you should do to some degree, but the trouble is we're in this together. How about your stew? What caused me to take some bites of that stew might not cause you, but you might be nibbling off at some other stew that doesn't attract me at all. God is looking for people. He so loved the world that he wants to send you and me into the world to be the incarnation, the visible manifestation of his love. And the way he wants us to do that is he wants us to actually tell our stories as we go through life with one another. So we can encourage each other and we can also remind each other, I have not arrived. Believe me, this is the little bit I've learned. There's so many things I'm still not worked out. But this I know and this I know will transform lives. That despite everything He is my hope and He is my joy and He is my purpose. What did He do on the cross? I'm just going to give you one reference. In Genesis 3, 6, Genesis chapter 3, after the fall, when Adam sinned, God said, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles that you, and you will, that for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. In other words, this earth is cursed. Now, God, I don't think, actually cursed the earth. He just said the result of the action is that you've, laid, you've given ownership to Satan, so it is cursed. What happens when God sets his people free from Egypt or when Jesus goes to the cross? When Jesus goes to the cross in John 19, this is what happens on the cross. In Romans, they talk. Paul talks about this. I don't have time to go into it, but he basically goes, if one person can produce sin into the world, then one person righteous, who is Jesus on the cross, can release healing. So, it's not by your will, and it's not by the power of in, in you. It's appropriating what has been won for you. So, what does ha- what what happens? But why I'm d- spending so much time on that is you cannot appropriate if you don't think you have a need. You cannot appropriate if you think you're in if you are in denial. You cannot appropriate if you think you've arrived. And the only way we will think we will be arrived is if we cloister ourselves into a little bubble where no, that doesn't get tested. I don't know about you, but I'm perfect on my own. I'm not even perfect on my own, actually. That's That doesn't work either. Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They put the curse on his head. And on the cross, Jesus went to that cross to undo the curse that was laid upon this earth because of Satan and because of ignorance and because of I ate the stew I lost my birthright you think you're going to lose your birthright because you're consciously losing your birthright, you're not you're going to lose it because you just got tempted in something you went to shoot, I didn't realize and you think you're going to know what what it is that's going to steal it away, it's going to smell like stew what's wrong with that that's the problem, this stuff is so subtle but it's vicious and so Jesus took that th- those thorns on himself. And the land that was cursed, he then said, very much similar to taking the promised land. Every step you take, you can actually bless the land and take back the land. Now you are operating under the authority of what God has done for you in Jesus so we sin because we, are, we inherit something that is not even our fault. So every baby is born into sin. It's innocent, but it's still sinful because it's in the DNA. There's no such thing as a sinless child. It can't be because the parents are sinful. might be innocent, but it's still sinful. I don't know if any of you had to bring up your children to teach them how to be naughty. And, the, and something in the human just rises up and goes, no. You might notice that. You might notice you want to protest all the time. No, but. You want to hear God? Hear Him. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Hear Him. It's not good enough just to hear, Jesus, I love you. Or oh John, I love you. John, I love you, therefore repent. Our problem is, we get to the repentance before we've experienced the love. God's love leads us to repentance. We as humans, because we have so half-hearted approach, go. it's quite cool getting you to repent. I like speaking words of repentance so you have to repent as if I don't have to. God's love calls you to repentance. You mean in the midst of my brokenness and my awareness of all that I am not, God, says, Jesus says, I love you. But I'm disqualified because of all this stuff. He says, no, you're not. Why not? Because I don't want to disqualify you. I want my love to draw you. So Jesus went to the cross for all humanity, for all time, for everyone, of every nation, every persuasion. Universalism says, therefore, everyone will be saved. The gospel says you have to stand before the cross, each one, and respond to what has been given. Make it your own. And once that I have said yes to Jesus and I thank you that you took my place on the cross, you broke the curse, then he says, now walk it out. And that's where our challenge is and that's where we are needing to learn how to walk together, allowing him to continue to make us whole. That's the good news. So what we have to do, quite simply, is say, Jesus, help me to take the next step and keep on walking. And sometimes you will walk and there will be just joy and peace and you're actually savoring the victories you already have. And that is entirely appropriate. And then you will walk along thinking, I am so with Jesus. And you'll fall off. Oh, what was that? Well, that was your attitude to that person. You just walked past because you were so full of worship. You forgot to even look at them and you didn't even notice them. And they felt totally ignored by you. You were so full of the joy of the Lord. And they were crying and you didn't have the time for them. And I was trying to get your attention to look to them. Oh, well, just telling you. You will never, and I will never, get to the place where I feel I've arrived on this earth. Anci- old historical teachings of Christianity always talk about the closer you get to God, the more unworthy you feel. Because there's just so much to do. But you also become more and more confident in His grace. So you can kind of trip over everything and make a mess and go, but God loves me and He joys me. How are you doing? It's the uh, Ragamuffin Gospel. What's the guy's name? The Catholic priest. He used to get drunk. What's his name? Who? No, it's not Father Murphy. It's Ragamuffin Gospel. Father Murphy is any Catholic priest. Uh, <laughs> um, it's, it's a well-known. It's a well-known book that he wrote, but he used to get drunk. From Monday to Wednesday, then sober up to give a conference. And he did that for a long time. And God used him. Now, God's not making what he did right. He just shared the struggle of his alcoholism and struggle to serve Jesus and all the rest of it. People need hope, they need good news.